0: Thanks for checking out the Indie Handshake Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Ponte, and I am here today with Scott Lost, one of the PWG six creator of one of the most influential indie wrestling promotions of t- the 2000s up until today. And now full-time comic book artist for accidental aliens. How are we doing today, Scott?
1: Got the merch, got the merch on. I'm doing good, man. I'm
0: doing good. Thank you. See, I did the same. See, it's got a you gotta oh, I love it. Yeah, you, you always got, got, got to, got,
1: to <laughs> you gotta rock your shit, man. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and I did the um the classic PWG green actually for this is our first shirt and it was a conscious effort to have it be the PWG uh, green.
0: Very nice. That all that dark olive green.
1: Yeah. Loved it. I love it. I wore that shirt out, man.
0: So uh, in looking at unless your Wikipedia is wrong, it says here you were born in Santa Cruz. It is wrong.
1: That is wrong. It is
0: wrong. Okay.
1: Yeah. It was because of the, the lost boys movie. that and then uh for a while people had it as the lost hills um just oh shoot i forgot the dude's name uh he was the xpw ring announcer guy okay Uh, yeah he had like the thick hispanic accent and stuff and so he started ring announcing for gs gspw gscw um anyway and so he was like hey have you heard of the lost hills you know it's up you know, it's up north a bit and whatever. Like, it'd be cool if you came out. I was like, yeah, man, sure. Whatever. So for a while, it said the Lost Hills. Okay. Uh, so yeah, but born and raised in San Diego. San Diego.
0: Okay. Not bad. Beach towns, you know.
1: Yeah, man. It's, I not, love it. it's not
0: too different, but still yeah. kind of different.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is for sure. It's definitely different than LA or Santa Cruz.
0: So uh, obviously, you know, being a full-time comic book artist, you grew up liking comic books and stuff, but... Did you also grow up liking wrestling? Did you find it later on, like in your teenage yeah, years, or how did absolutely. that come about?
1: Those two things I, I've I found go hand in hand. Like uh, comic comic book fans have a large a large tendency to be wrestling fans. It doesn't necessarily always go the other way, but True. but it but it does uh, you know for a decent chunk of it. So yeah, I grew up watching pro wrestling and uh, reading comic books. So nice. So actually, and uh, comics was actually my first choice uh, as a career before pro wrestling
0: okay
1: yeah and then pro wrestling kind of took over in the teen years and that's when it was hot in the 90s you know like 98 especially it was it was crazy so that's when um i was doing a lot of backyard wrestling with my friends uh, it was TWO, trampoline wrestling
0: organization very nice
1: <laughs> and it was all safe stuff i actually wrote all the matches i choreographed everything like i, I scripted everything out and stuff and uh, we built some stairs out of old pallets, and uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty safe. The most dangerous thing we did was uh, set up some boxes. I used to work at Mervin's back in the day, and so I would steal boxes from there all the time. And we'd kind of construct the boxes, and then we'd do like diamond cutters or dives, you know, off of the trampoline and through the boxes. Yeah. So yeah, that was, I that was wonder dangerous if, it got.
0: I wonder if kids today still do because I know backyard wrestling at the time, you know, in the '90s was like massive, like. To where they put out those Best of Backyard Wrestling DVDs and people actually bought those and watched those. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I wonder now if people are doing it, but I don't know. I bet
1: you they are. There's There's been some stuff sent to me. Uh, for the most part, I tell people, don't send me crazy shit. Like, I don't like watching people get hurt. And unfortunately, a lot of those Backyard videos is people getting hurt. And yeah, I've seen, I've seen a couple of things uh, that were recent. And it was like people jumping off of tables, like, I don't know, through monitors, like it was really Mm. weird. And like a guy clearly cracks his ribs and he's just like convulsing on the ground. And it's like, can you still release this? Like, are you nuts? So yeah. Anyway, I'm sure it's out there. It's just not as popular.
0: Yeah. Ours was uh, like yours trampoline, uh, try to be very safe. Do funny things like, uh, we'd find like, like whenever there was like a construction on the street, we would take like a couple of the, like little light barricades and use yeah, those yeah. as like the entrance for the ring. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> Yeah, you know, stupid stupid garbage <laughs> like that, but it was fun.
1: Hey. We'd come out of my, uh, we had a, a garage garage side exit into the backyard and so that we'd use that as our mm. as our ring entrance, yeah.
0: So were you a WCW guy or WWF guy?
1: WWF uh, okay. all the way. Yeah, actually watching WCW when I was a kid used to give me a headache. I couldn't watch it. It was just... There was just something about it. I don't know what it mm. was. I'd watch it and I'd i would I'd be 15, 20 minutes in. I'm like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. I got to turn this off. And I just go outside and play instead. I just, there was something about it I couldn't get into. But, Interesting. Yeah.
0: And uh, from there, I'm always interested in this, how you discovered independent wrestling. Because, you know, when you watch wrestling as a kid, you look at it and say, oh, like, look at these larger than life people. Wow, amazing. Where do they even come from, these magical people? And then all of a sudden, right. like, you go to a high school gym sometime, and you're like, what? People wrestle here? So how did you discover independent wrestling?
1: Yeah, I, I had no clue about it, to be honest with you. Um, like I said, I was a WWF kid growing up. And um, later in the 90s, like, you know, 98 is when they hired uh, Bischoff and all that, those other guys. Or not Bischoff. Um, uh, What's the other guys? The, the guys that went from WWE to WCW.
0: Um, oh, uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall?
1: No, no, no. The writers, the writers. writers. Oh, you know who I'm talking. They were like major dudes. Like it was a big deal that they went over there.
0: Yeah. Shoot. That's escaping my mind right now. It's going to bug me. Yeah, me too. Oh man.
1: People listening to this are like, are you guys stupid? Um, Anyway, yeah, look it up. So uh, yeah, when, when those guys went over Kevin Nash and and Scott Hall, that's when I actually started watching it and getting into it more. Um, But as far as indie wrestling goes, I had no clue until I met, uh, my first tag partner. Uh, oh, are we Rus-
0: talking uh, Russo and Ferrara?
1: Yes, Russo. Vince Russo. There it is. Jeez.
0: I think I try to forget Vince Russo a lot, but...
1: <laughs> oh, he's come up with, uh, you know, it's you, there's a lot of bad stuff. Man, there was some some fun stuff. I liked, honestly, I loved uh, Janitor Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, like, yeah. That was one of my favorite hacksaws. <laughs> I was like, this is great. This is great. It, it just makes sense. But yeah, I liked I liked some of his ideas. He, he definitely needed someone to, like, pump the brakes on him a bit, but you know, there was some fun stuff there. Uh, but as far as indie wrestling goes, I didn't discover it until I met my first tag partner. One of my buddies brought his best friend to wrestle in the backyard, uh, you know, in our wrestling bed. And he brought a flyer for ultimate university, UPW's wrestling school. And he hit his girlfriend randomly found it. And, you know, he wrestled with us a few times or whatever. And then he goes, Hey man, you should, you should think about coming up with me and and watching them train sometime. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? And so we went up there and we saw a ton of guys our size and it was kind of like, okay, well, yeah, we have to do this now. Like, this is, this is pretty cool. And uh, you know, it was actually guys like back in the, if, if you watched early early 2000 SoCal scene guys like little Nate, and catastrophe like they had these dudes that were training at upw at the time and uh yeah so so seeing them you know training and stuff just guys being our size we're like yeah okay we're, we're gonna do this for sure and we ended up signing up within a month and uh, we would drive up twice a week uh, from san diego so i would drive one day ryan would drive uh the other day so
0: and uh when you first went into it uh what kind of style did you want to do and if it was different than the style you ended up doing, how did it morph and change? I th- I think it's just like
1: anything. Um, I, it's, it's very comparable to art in the sense that, like I wanted to do a WWF style because that's where I wanted to go. Um, I just, just knowing my size and stuff, like my my dream was to be like the best WWE or WWF at the time, a light heavyweight champion. So I love Taka. Taka, Taka Michinoku is my favorite guy. Uh, next to Brett. Brett was my all time favorite guy, but as far as guys, my size, like taco was, was the shit. Um, so that was kind of my dream. So I wanted to combine that, um, WWF, like Taka Taka style, uh, mixed with Brett and like WCW cruiserweights. Mm-hmm. So that was like my initial goal. Um, but when I started training, it was like a lot of Brett, like everything I did was how Brett Hart would do it. And, um, over time, like I started, you know, they would train us on everything. So like, okay, try this, try this. And they're like, Whoa, you do that really good. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, well, Brett doesn't do that. You know, like, and it was just kind of this weird buffer I had in my head that wouldn't allow me to do certain things. But then over time it was like, wait, but I'm really good at doing these things and I like doing them. I should be able to do them. So I, so I would, you know, and it was kind of, honestly, it was a combination of like Brett and Sean, Sean Michaels. Um, Like what you could see with a lot of my moveset, it was like, Mm -hmm. Super kicks, elbow drops, and, you know, and then sharpshooters and uh, all that stuff. So, uh, but over time, I just started developing more and more things. Um, I actually used a couple of things I'd invented on the trampoline. Um, and just uh, over time, it was it was just because I noticed everyone was stealing from each other. And it was just like this internal, it's just this cannibalism of indie wrestling. So, you know, like at one point, pump handles were hot. So everyone was doing different kinds of pump handles. And then so I was doing it and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, everyone's doing this. What what aren't people doing? So I would watch a lot of old WWE, uh, WWF. And um, I would start like just watching everyone. Like as opposed to, uh, it was a early on note that I heard, had heard from someone. I think it was, it was maybe Frankie, Frankie Kazarian that said it. It was like, just stop watching the guys, the guy that you love. Start watching everyone. Oh no, it is noble. Actually, it was something Noble had said in an interview, mm-hmm. and that really struck struck me. And it was just like, oh yeah, I should I should be kind of seeing what everyone's doing, not taking from this small pool, you know. Like there's stop taking from the small pond and take from the, you know, the lake, you know, the river or whatever, and uh, just let it flow. And so so I started watching everyone, and so I was watching old school like Boss Man. And, uh, you know, I loved Mr. Perfect. So I'd watch Mr. Perfect. Then I'd watch, uh, um, you know, even Neidhart like had some cool shit. And I was just like, man, that was a really cool spot. And like, that's a really great idea. And so I would, I would do that. And I would just kind of use my creativity to be different from everyone else as opposed to just moves. It was mm-hmm. like, well, how are you getting into these moves? You know, that, uh, another trigger for that was DDP. It was like, oh, every week he gets into it a new way, you know? And so I, that's something that, that, uh, my brain like held on to, it was just like, well, why just with your finish? Why not with everything? So I would think of ways to get into everything I did differently than I did the week before. And, um, yeah, so that just helped me creatively, like creatively uh, in the ring, just kind of be different from everyone. Um, and then just start looking outside the box. I started watching, uh, like I always loved martial arts movies. And, um, like Tony jaw was huge at one point. Yeah. And, uh, so I was watching, yeah, I was watching his shit and I was like, I was like, oh man, like Ong Bach. And he did this thing where he like, he like ran up a dude and fucking just dove his elbows into the top of the guy's skull. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, how am I going to do that in the ring? And so, um, I was like, well, if I do this, if I can step up onto their thigh and then I can shoot my other leg up next to their head, I'll be stable and they can balance me. And I can pull back and bring down. And so there was just, you know, different things like that um, that would kind of inspire me when, when, uh, you know, I was trying to think of things in the ring just to be different. Um, Even Batman, the animated series, like the intro, there's the intro, uh, the part of the intro where Batman is on the rooftop. There's these two bank robbers and they're running across the rooftop and they look up. And then there's Batman the silhouette and he jumps and it's just a shadow and he just pounces on one guy and rolls off of him. And I'm like, Oh, it's so fucking cool. Like, what can I do to emulate that somehow? And so I came up with, it was like in 2018, I think when I came up with it, it was a, I call them the bat stomps. It's like where I'm in the turnbuckle and they're running at me and I would like shoot my legs up and I would uh, kind of like whip myself in the air and I would land on their chest and I would roll off and and I was like, "Oh, this is fucking cool," you know. And yeah. it was a trial and error thing. The first couple of times, I remember I uh, stepped on a dude's nuts, <laughs> like he didn't, because uh, it was it was like I would have to explain it to them. It's like, okay, as soon as my feet touch your chest, I need you to bump as fast as possible, almost slide under me. And he didn't. He went outward. So uh, instead of like instead of like him going straight under where I could land on him, he went out. So I, instead of landing on his chest, I landed on his nuts. Mm. <laughs> and so the first, first time I did it, I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull this off. And then um, uh, the next couple of times it was like, you know, I was like, okay, it's getting better. it's getting. And then after that, it was clean, clean. So I do it pretty much every match after that.
0: See, I love stuff like that where you take like out of the box ideas and incorporate them into wrestling. Like I, when I talked to Vinny Massaro on this podcast, he mentioned he got a lot of his ideas for innovating moves or whatever from Tekken. He was like, I would, okay. watch, they would watch them do moves in like Tekken or other fighting games. And I'd be like, how can I do that in a ring? Like, yeah. that'd be really interesting to do. So now that you're getting into like creating different moves and doing all that stuff. What was the, the learning curve as far as psychology in the ring, though? When do you do these moves? How, like, what's the right time? What's the inappropriate time, et cetera? Like, how, how was that learning curve for you?
1: It was pretty easy. Um, UPW, that's the, one of the first things they teach you. You know, it's like basic bumping. You know, they'll, they'll teach you that. And, um, and then it was psychology. Like, psychology was huge. It was a, a WWE farms, farm school. So mm-hmm. you had to know psychology. Um, But it was like, it's like the bare bone, it's the basics of psychology. You know, it's like, they teach you how matches are put together and you get an idea. It's almost like writing a movie. Like, you know, you have, you know, the opening sequence and you get to know the characters. And then you get into it, uh, the hero's down, you know, they're fighting out of this. And then they overcome it at the end. You know, there's a huge battle and eventually the hero wins, but you know, wrestling case, maybe the villain wins or whatever. Um, so, so yeah, there was just a way to break down matches that they taught you a formula. And then it was, it's all on, it's all on your, your acumen for the subject. Right. So for like wrestling, like my, my pool is pretty big, you know, compared to not, not to everyone or anything like that, but like, then just the average guy, like I could think more out of the box. I can understand things a little bit better. Um, and, uh, I sound like an asshole, but, <laughs> but, but well, it, it, it's, it's, you, you know had a that, successful
0: career and you started a, an amazing promotion. So, I mean, it's not, you know, you obviously had some, uh, some natural ability in the subject. Right.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, no, yeah. Okay. I, yeah. So I, it's just, it's, I sound like an asshole. Um, but, but, you know, in wrestling, I, I did, I have, at I had an aptitude for it. I just understood it. Um. And so after a while, you can start messing with the psychology of things. Like you can start changing it up. Um, like like uh, Brian Danison, way bigger pull than me. You know, like he understood it on a completely other level. I, whereas I I was on one level, and he was like two levels higher than it. You know, and and so to to know someone like that and go, man, I thought I knew what I was doing in here, and like you know, you know, he knew even more. So, um, but yeah, after a while, you kind of you go, okay, this is this is how they show you it's set up, you know, A to Z, but you can, you can move this around and this around. It's like, like some movies they throw you, you're right in the middle of the action. You don't, you Mm -hmm. don't get to know the characters first. You know, sometimes you just know you're like, Oh shit, there's a gunfight right now, you know? And like, then eventually through the story you get it all figured out. It's all sorted by the end. You know, I, I figured at one point, it's like I can mess with the puzzle a little bit. I can change it up. And so I started just doing crazier shit in my matches uh, to point to the point where, like my last year and a half, I knew I was quitting. I knew I, w- I was going to be done. So I wanted to cut out all the stuff that I just didn't, just didn't want to do anymore. Like as opposed to trying to have the best match on the card, I just wanted to have fun. Mm. So I was like, all right, no more hold to hold. I'm just not doing it. You know, I've done it for eight and a half years. I'm cool. Like we don't have to do that shit anymore. So every match started with a jump start. Um, and people just, after a while, people were like jump start, and I'm like, yeah. And it just became a thing. Like, like that's just how my matches start. It's yeah. like, start it hot. Like I want the matches hot. I want this going a mile a minute, like right out the gate, you know, and I don't want to do a, a 20 minute classic that the, you know, the indie fans are going to go crazy over for a couple of months or whatever, a couple of years. It's like, I want to get in. I want to get out. I want to have fun. I want to, you know, I I want to have uh you know, a car chase in here, you know, I want to have uh you know, nonstop. I want to, I want to have a gunfight in here. I don't want to have a, you know, like I said, a classic indie classic, you know, but they're fun to watch. So, um, and then people just started getting more into my matches. You know, um, I started reading stuff like towards the end, you know, I was just like, Oh, I wonder what they think, you know, of all of this or whatever. And then, so I just read reviews and people are like, Oh, I didn't really like his stuff before, but like, yeah, I'm starting to like, I'm starting to dig his stuff. And I'm like, Oh, I think maybe I should have just been doing this the whole time, you know, just just doing whatever I want as opposed to trying to have the best match.
0: Yeah, I think the real when it comes to the idea of playing with the psychology of it, I think that's that's where a lot of uh, matches that are that try a lot of false finishes. I think sometimes they they overthink that part because yeah. they're doing a lot of false finishes. But like in my brain i they're not really false finishes, and the reason right. is because we're conditioned over years of watching wrestling, like subconsciously, even if you're not thinking about it, your brain knows what's coming next. It's like a feeling, you know, mm. and it's only when you really master that whole thing and then you play with it to the point where, like, you literally go, Oh wow, I did not see that coming at all because your yeah. brain doesn't even think that it's possibly gonna happen next, and that's right. like a true false finish. That's like Oh my gosh, I can't believe that happened. But it's really hard to do that. It's right. it's it's a little right, right. tough. But there's but, a rhythm, there's a rhythm
1: to matches, you know, and and whether you, you know you feel it or not, you know, it's basically what you're describing. You're feeling the rhythm of it. You're like, no, you know the match isn't over right here. And you have guys like, you know, Danielson or whoever, um, that understand it and they can do they can do falsies where you're like, Oh shit, I thought that was the finish, you know. And uh yeah, so so it's a real difficult thing. And you know, I would watch those matches as someone uh coming up that wanted to do a WWE style, like a TV friendly style, mixed with indie. Um, to watch the the overly indie matches was was kind of painful. I'm like, Oh, I should have been the finish. Like, you know, you'll you'll see some uh, fucking Canadian destroyer, you know, like a <laughs> second finish uh falsy of the match. Like what yeah. what is happening? Like, like can we get a build up to this, you know? And so there would be stuff like that. I'm like that clearly, and then you get to the finish and it's just like a roll up and it's just like, it's garbage. This is garbage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. My only, like, I, I don't know if you've been, you know, how, you know, I know this is an indie pod, indie wrestling podcast, but I don't know how, if you've been watching AEW at all. And, uh, they, they have a lot of criticisms about the Canadian destroyers and stuff like that. They Mm. do too many of them and everything. My only real problem is like, if you know, something's a big finish in an upcoming match, or if you, maybe don't use that move in your regular match in the beginning in the middle of the match like if something's right. a big move just don't do it earlier and that might not even be like the sense of either either they're not talking to each other yeah so they don't know or they don't care which is
1: worse who's, uh, so, who's doing it who's doing the the canadian destroyer i've seen it on the bucks i've seen the bucks take it a couple of times is it the so
0: the, the jurassic express guys do the canadian destroyer uh okay. the lucha guy the lucha brothers do the uh Canadian destroyer. um Dustin Rhodes does a Canadian destroyer now. What? So
1: why is, there, why is everyone doing this move?
0: It's so like, everyone's everyone's doing Canadian destroyers now, and you know,
1: Jesus Christ, yeah, it's, it's like, it was, oh man, uh, back in my day, when uh, when I was yeah. in the Indies, it was like one dude's move, you know, oh, and like maybe two, you know, and um, yeah, that's weird, man. Like that's that's the thing about the Indies that I. I I had a tough time with was, um, when, when like there would be guys that would steal my shit, like they blatantly tell me like, look, like I took this from you or whatever. And like, they kind of know I do it here. And I'm just like, all right. Like, you know, um, uh, Cheech and Cloudy, we wrestled them, uh, over at, at Chikara and, uh, Cheech was the one that said he'd you, you know, he's the one that told me that he was, he was cool about it. He was cool about it, but there has been other instant incidents, incidences where it wasn't cool, but he told me, but he, like, it was cool. He helped me plan the spot to where I got over on him with my moves. Mm. So, so that was kind of fun. Uh, but there would be guys that would do my stuff like on the same card and, you know, they'd be on the undercard and I would be up or, you know, higher up on the card. And I'm like, do my finish. Like, you know, it's like stuff like that. It's, it's wild. It's like, come on guys. Like you guys got to talk about this. You can't, you can't just, yeah. do, you know, um, like I used to use the, um, it was called the key crusher. Um, I thought about on a trampoline. I just called it a fisherman driver. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, when, once I found out it was Loki's finisher, I stopped using it, you know, and I definitely wouldn't use it on the card that he was on so but sometimes that would happen like guys would do certain things that i would do i'm just like this this is weird guys like yeah it's not entertaining like it's just it's not you know i have unfortunately i haven't been watching aew Uh, a lot of my buddies are on there and i'm glad they're doing well it's just one i don't have cable i don't so i don't get that channel um i just do like netflix hulu all that other stuff um and it's just, I don't watch wrestling as much, you know I'll catch a couple of my friends' um, matches Like, you know, online or something like that But beyond that, just not not really Did
0: that happen immediately after you stopped wrestling? Or did it kind of, like, gradually?
1: As soon as I, honestly, I, I stopped while I was still wrestling Like, it just wasn't It wasn't entertaining anymore Because it was all the same stuff, you know It's like, mm. um, like i don't know man just like fucking seeing the matrix like you're just like i get it i understand it (laughs) like you just you look at it differently than from when you were a fan and there's certain guys that you can watch and you go like oh i didn't see that coming you know um but for the most part it's you're like it's it's all like i just knew what was happening and it just wasn't as entertaining anymore and then it became me um breaking down the matches like i always just break down matches you know and even in just trying to watch and enjoy them, it would still happen. Um, and just over time also, like after seeing a, a bunch of my friends get on TV and like a lot of time had passed since then, um, I think I was already out of the business five years before uh, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens um, got on TV, Claudio. Um, I don't know his WWE name. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I know a lot of the guys... PWG names or indie names, like it's hard for me to switch them over. Um, but it was already like I think five years before those guys got on TV, and like you kind of see more opportunities for indie guys coming around. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'd watch a little bit of it, but I would get kind of bummed out because it was there was no opportunities really when I was working. Um, it was a down point in wrestling. Like WCW was gone, um, TNA was was barely a thing, and uh, there wasn't much. Like you couldn't make money in wrestling, really, unless you were like a top, top guy.
0: Well, at that um, time, and I and I talked about this with Watts because he was on Tough Enough uh, around that time. And he was and he was and we were saying, you know, if you wanted to be in the WWE at that time, basically you, you had a better chance if you played college football or right. if you played, you know, another sport in college so that they can just like you were just a piece of clay that they can just you do this now. This is what we want you to do.
1: Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, and, and for the most part, it didn't work with a lot of those guys. Like, nope. <laughs> that was like the WCW power plant. You would just get these, these cookie cutter guys, these mm. farm fed guys. You're just like, yeah, they're in great shape. They're massive. They're giants, but they don't really know what they're doing in there. They're doing the the cookie cutter A to Z formula that you're taught, you know, for for psychology. It's like well, this is when you do this. This is when you do this. This is when you do this. They didn't understand why they were doing it then. They didn't really grasp it. And that's, for the most part, that's what happens when you don't grow up as a wrestling fan. You don't understand the psychology of the storytelling um, as much as if you were brought up through the Indies. You know, like, you learn a lot of bad habits on the Indies, but you learn a lot of good habits too. You learn a lot of different tricks um, that they're not going to teach you in a farm school because Mm -hmm. they're teaching you to be like everyone else. Uh, in in WCW or WWE, whatever whatever the case is, on the indies you're learning you're learning how to establish yourself uh, away from everyone else on the card. How do you make yourself different or better than everyone else on the card? Well, you do different shit. You think of different things. Um, if you're in a farm school, you're being taught these things, and that's how you do it. So there's and then you watch those guys like Jin and O'Hare. You watch them, you know, against other guys uh, like you know, Guerrero, uh, Malenko, whoever that have been everywhere. And you go, Oh yeah. Yeah. You could just see the difference. You know, yeah. it's, it's crystal clear.
0: You're doing indie wrestling. Uh, you're training, everything's going good. You're learning psychology. How does PWG come about? What is the goal in mind at the time? What do you decide? Like, what is, what is your idea, your impression of what you guys were going for in the beginning? We
1: just want honestly we wanted more places to work. Um, stuff was drying up, you know, you would have these, these, uh, uh, pop-up, pop-up feds. We had this place, the marketplace, the Anaheim marketplace where a lot of these little feds would pop up at and they would rent, rent out the space in the ring from the Lucha promoter, uh, Martine. And, you know, he did WPW every Sunday, you know, it was his Lucha fed, but he would rent it out to, to random indie people. Um, you know, throughout the week or, you know, Saturdays, Friday, Saturdays, whatever. And so we would work those shows, but then even those would start dying off and uh, we just needed more places to work. I had an idea, uh, maybe like six months prior to PWG, maybe a year prior to PWG of starting my own fed. And, but it was just like the concept would not have worked, but it was essentially, Hey, all my wrestling buddies. Hey, you, you guys want to work this show. We all get paid the exact same amount. doesn't matter where you're on the car. We all just get paid the exact same amount. All right, we'll, we'll charge, you know, five, 10 bucks for tickets. We'll do all that. We'll pay the ring rental, space rental, whatever that costs, we can get a deal. I know the promoter or the, the owner or whatever, and then we'll split the rest amongst the boys. So whatever we make, we all make it. Right. So that was my idea. Uh, never came up, came about, it was just too problematic. And, and, uh, after a while I was like, Oh, I don't want to be a promoter. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be in charge <laughs> of all this stuff. And then, um, yeah, six months to a year later, uh, you know, we started talking about doing it again. And, uh, um, so, you know, eventually we just started putting it together and, you know, some of the guys knew big guys, you know, it's like, we got AJ on our first show and it's just like, Oh shit, that's kind of wild. And, uh, you know, Joe, Samoa Joe was one of my trainers. Um, I think he got hurt or something. I can't remember if he could, I don't think he could do the first show. I think he got hurt. Um, so, but it was supposed to be AJ and Joe, I think then it became AJ and Frankie. And then Frankie was another guy that, um, um, he was already established in the business, but he, he was a workhorse. So he was always at training when I was training, you know, initially training. So I knew Frankie too. And, and so, so anyway, yeah, we, we put it together just as a, another, another place to work.
0: Yeah. Frankie, he, I saw him multiple times in Northern California. He was going up and down like all the time. Oh yeah. Regularly. That guy, that was one of my first, like, uh, you know, one of the, one of the first uh, indie guys I marked for hard was Frankie Kazarian. It was like him and Daniels were like the two where I was like, oh, these guys, man.
1: Yeah. 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 They were great. I love those guys. And the nicest guys too. um, Oh yeah. To have have Frankie and Daniels around all the time, uh, you know, while I was training, you know, Frankie would be training sometimes. He'd help sometimes. Um, uh, Chris Daniels, sometimes he would train train us or whatever, but you know, he's, he was in UPW. So he'd be around and stuff like that. Um, even after like the galaxy shows, he would, you know, pull me aside and say, Hey, look, you know, work on this. He goes, this is good. Work on this, work on this. And so just to have someone of those guys caliber around all the time was, was really helpful.
0: What was Samoa Joe like as a
1: trainer? Just like exactly like he seems he would be. (laughs) He was a, he was tough he was, um, I liked, I liked his style of training and his style of training is actually how, um, when I would train people, it was the same style. Like it was a style I appreciated. He was very firm. He would tell you when something was bad. He goes, that's not good. So that's not good. Um, try it again, try it like this, you know? And then when he was, he was, that's good. And like, I like, I like positive reinforcement myself, but I do need to know when something's bad, especially when something comes easy to me. Like, like, like pro wrestling came relatively easy to me. So when something was bad, I needed to know it was bad because I was like, it felt good because no, no, it wasn't good because of this reason. And after that, that's when I started taping everything, I would tape everything. Cause I would say, I need to see what he's talking. Like I'm a visual learner. I need to see what I'm doing. And then, so, you know, I record everything and, and so I'd see what he was talking about or, or whoever. Uh, but he's really, I super solid teacher. Um, he's really cool to have around.
0: And how did you notice uh, from the time you you guys started PWG towards uh, the time you left? How did the indie scene change? What, what did you notice were the biggest differences?
1: Uh, when I first started, fly-ins were like a huge thing. Like everyone in the SoCal scene was champing at the bit to get a fly-in. You know, it's just like, okay, oh, oh, who's who gets to wrestle him? You know, and, um, you know, PWG, uh, once that, like, PWG made fly ins a a regular thing. So then after that, I was just like, it was still, it was always cool to wrestle fly ins, you know, but it just wasn't as big of a deal. So I would say that was the biggest difference. And then there was more of a buzz around the indies when PWG came along as opposed to before, where it was like, felt like everything was dying, it was dying off, you know. Um, Even, you know, UPW like went away very early on, like right after I stopped training, you know, I think it was around for maybe a year or two. And then it was gone. Um, So, yeah, just a lot of stuff dying at the end uh, or in the beginning for me. It's about 2000, 2000, 2005. And then after that, it was, you know, everything was cool.
0: And uh, when you were, you know, towards the end when you said you were like, I'm just going to have fun in the ring. I'm just going to do this. Uh, When you when you encountered younger workers, guys who were just starting out. Uh, what did you, how did they compare to younger workers when you were young and you were starting out what did you think about like the attitude maybe the way they saw wrestling what was different between that
1: honestly it's about the same uh, it, it's just it's like a case-by-case case thing like some people are just some people just pick it up really quickly like the bucks they're just natural um, and then there's other guys that it was just like ah oh, you you're not as good as, at this you need to work harder or whatever and then you know either those people would you know, take the turn, you would see them get way better or they would just drop off. So it it is more or less the same. Um, and I'd imagine it's still like that to this day. It's like, just like anything, you know what I mean? You have, Mm -hmm. you have good people at you have good people and you have bad people at things like there's trial and error. Sometimes you get better. Sometimes you get worse. Sometimes you don't improve. Um, so, so yeah, it's more or less the same.
0: And when you first started out, uh, how did you feel about, you know, part of the ring, part of wrestling is, you know, how you are in the ring, how you are on the mic, all that stuff. But right. also a big part of it is the connections you make and the people you meet. So how did you encounter how did you uh, go about navigating, you know, the locker room etiquette, the you know, how you talk to certain people if there's veterans around, any of that kind of weird stuff. Like how did you how was that learning curve for you and what was it like? I hated that
1: stuff, man. That's stuff's the worst. Like that's a part of wrestling that um not respecting the not the whole respecting your vet. Oh, you should always respect your vets and stuff like that. But I a lot of that stuff's bullshit. Like it's all garbage. It's like it's like you have to you have to go around and shake everyone's hand. You have to give them the light handshake. The harder your handshake, the harder you work, the stiffer you are in the ring, like that type of shit. Thus the name of the podcast. Yeah, little, yeah. A little, a little, should have named it the Limp Fish Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh but uh yeah, no, the um after a while I just started shaking people's hand. I'm like, oh, you were gonna I don't know, maybe. <laughs> we'll see we'll see when we get in the ring how I'm working. <laughs> but um yeah, no, I hated that stuff. And um, I don't know. There's there's a couple incidences where, you know, I didn't shake someone's hand or they didn't they didn't think I gave them enough attention or whatever. And like I was like, this is the stupidest shit in the world. Like, you know, I I wish you could just walk in the room and say, Hey everyone. I'm happy to see everyone hey you know like that would be so much better you know but you got to walk up into you got to do this whole thing you know and even when you don't want to do it like you clearly don't want to do it but you're doing it because it's part of the rules it doesn't it doesn't mean anything you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i can see guys that would go do it and they don't really want to do it they're just doing it because they have to do it and it's just like well i don't want that handshake you know and it's like and it's not on them because it's the it's the, the rule right so it's just the stupidest shit ever. And I wish that stuff, I mean, I don't care. I'm not in it anymore, but you know, for the guys that are in it or are going to be in it, like for you, I wish that shit would go away. Cause it's dumb.
0: <laughs> so, so it, it, it's kind of a, you know, we, we live in a more of a smarky culture as far as wrestling, especially now, everyone kind of knows the ins and outs and knows all the stuff. Right. Um, but a lot of that was starting kind of when PWG was go, was getting started. I felt like a lot of the you guys got a lot of the smarter fans, quote unquote, uh, going there. So when you guys are planning and booking and promoting, at what point, like, how do you balance catering to you know anyone who wants to show up or catering to the the smart mark fan base? Like, how does do you do you think about that at all, or do you do you just do whatever?
1: I don't think so. I don't, I don't think we really thought about that because PWG was basically started by the guys that were popular in the scene, you know, Mm -hmm. um, the PWG six, like we're all pretty popular in the scene. So everyone that was going to come to the show liked our matches already. So we we really didn't have to change anything. And then, you know, us being wrestlers, we go, Oh, that guy's good. That guy's good. Oh, we should bring that guy in. And, uh, uh, (laughs) Super Dragon didn't listen to me at first, but um for years I wanted Chuck Taylor and, and Ricochet. I wanted those guys forever. And I was like, These guys are really good. Like we should really get these guys. Eh. And for years we never got them. And then eventually we started bringing them in. And I was just like, I fucking told you. I told you these guys are good, you know. Um, but basically we just bring in guys that you know we thought were good workers. Mm-hmm. So we knew we would have solid cards, you know, at that point. Um you know, we had been wrestling long enough to we knew, we knew who good workers were and what fans were into. So we we kind of didn't need to cater because it was already there. There was one thing we did think about, and but it wasn't based on the fans. It was just like being different from everyone else. We did, like, if you guys watched the first few, maybe the first year or two, there was a lot of comedy, like a lot of comedy sketches and extras on the DVDs because we liked that stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And we're like they'll probably like this stuff too, but if not, we'll get a laugh, you know, out of it. So,
0: yeah, I told, uh, when I, when I did the episode with, uh, Talwar, I told him, I was like, I, you know, I, in a lot of his old skits, especially like the Chipotle and all the, all that stuff, you know, I see a lot of what the, uh, the young bucks do in BTE and all that stuff. So I'm kind of like, you know, I'm not saying it's not, obviously they're not ripping it off, but I see there's a huge influence in the comedy from PWG into the stuff they would do later yeah
1: yeah they're not they're not you know they're not stealing it because they were part of it as well you know when when they were around they weren't around in the very beginning but you know they were around for a lot of the antics and stuff like that so you know when they were working it was like they were still making names for themselves so they weren't necessarily doing the comedy and we were all established guys so we can you know we could dick around and stuff like that but because we're already established so it didn't really matter Mm. um uh you know so to see them do it now it's just like yeah that's that's the obvious obvious progression of things you know it's like they're the and, best uh, did now.
0: it did any old school workers that you knew uh or maybe not just more old school sensibility workers I would say did they uh ever say anything about the com the comedic aspect of PwG and be like w- I'm not too into that man like what's going on?
1: Not not really. Uh I would say the only old school mentality guy that we had was uh Adam Pierce and he was cool. He was cool with it. You know, he's a certain amount of dicking around. He was cool with. Um, So, but he was never vocal about it. He was always really cool to me. Um, We always got along. So
0: scrap iron.
1: Yeah. 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 Scrap iron of appears. Uh, Shout out. Um, Yeah. He, he was always cool with stuff. You know, he, he didn't, he took himself seriously, but I don't think he put that on everyone around him. And then just, especially when the entire atmosphere is like that, kind of a loose, loose atmosphere I think people had a tendency to go with the flow Mm -hmm. not take themselves overly
0: serious yeah we had a lot of um a lot of uh double dipping as far as workers for between SoCal and Northern California you know because the drive is easy and uh but we saw a lot of the same guys uh when I worked for APW that's when uh American Dragon won the King of Indies and uh so I guys like Scrap Iron, Adam Pierce you know I saw him over here I saw Frankie all these guys um did you ever make your way to NorCal, or did you ever think about it, or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we went up there a couple of times. I can't
1: remember, can't remember how many times, but uh, we we did a couple of the APW garage shows. Okay, uh, garage wars, something gym like that. gym wars, gym wars. There we go. Yeah. Uh, so we did a couple of those. Yeah, they're all right. It's all right, you know, not not too terrible of a drive, and yeah, it's was, it was cool
0: enough. When you're getting workers that come in, um, was it ever? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not I want to say the word intimidating for the people coming in, but I wonder what it was like for guys coming in when and you guys obviously are like a friend group. You guys are a, your own like clique of people who are running this promotion, and now you bring in a fly in. You know, it's kind of like, oh, I'm I'm joining this already like created atmosphere, right? So I, I'm just wondering if there was ever any clashes of personality or anything like that, where you're kind of like, or maybe someone just fit right in immediately. Like you almost thought, wow, this guy could have been here since the beginning.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's both of those things have happened. Uh, (laughs) so (laughs) there's, there's, uh, uh, Sammy Zane, El Generico, Kevin Steen, Kevin Owens. Those guys felt like they were always there. Um, as soon as we started booking them, we're like, these guys are our friends. You're our friends now. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like they just, they, and every time they would come into town, they'd always come into town early and they would leave late. Um, and it was just cause we liked hanging out with them. You know, they were just good dudes and they felt like us, you know, and just like felt like we knew them forever. Um, there were a couple of guys that were, you know, kind of standoffish and, and kind of what you expect, you know, like low key or whatever. It's just like, like, but he's very rigid and that's his personality. So we're a bunch of goofballs. So we're obviously not going to, you know, be hanging out or whatever <laughs> so um but you know you get those like a lot of the guys that you think their personality is one way in the ring it's more than likely they're that's probably how they are so um but you know most of us were pretty pretty easygoing people so we got along for the most part
0: were there any guys that you know came and went and you thought man that guy was just amazing and i can't believe that he never got signed i can't believe like any of this happened like for me uh one guy and and I heard and I some people started mentioning him on Twitter again the other day, day because not a lot of people mention his name that much anymore. To me, I loved Bobby Quantz. I thought Bobby Quantz oh, yeah. was like the next big thing. Like he was gonna be
1: it. I love Bobby Quantz. Yeah, he's good. Yeah.
0: So I don't know. Were there any guys that stuck out in your mind as like they came and went from the business and you were like, man, I thought for sure this dude was good enough and was definitely going to be, you know, in the WWE or whatever?
1: I thought. I mean, I guess they they both made it Um, like Frankie Kazarian. Like I thought he was going to be, he's going to make it to the WWE. He had the drive. He was constantly training. You know, like I was saying, he was already established when I was training and he was always at training. It's like, this guy works way too hard. He looks too good. Um, He's clean in the ring. There's no way this guy's not getting signed. And then uh, he got there and I don't, I don't think he really enjoyed it. You know, like he didn't like how things were done over there um, or how they treated him. Um, you know, and so he wasn't there very long. And like, for me, I was like, oh, that's super duper shitty. You know, it's just like, this guy worked so hard to get here. And, and I don't think he enjoyed his time here. Um, Chris Daniels, you know, it's just like, how did he not get like a legit shot, you know, at being there? Um, he's one of the best guys on the Indies ever, you know? And like, he's like a legend. So, um, uh, Colt Cabana, Colt Cabana was a big one. It was like, this guy is so charismatic and, just so good in the ring. And, and he's a guy that can mess with the formula. Um, and he just gets it, just understands it. Um, so those, those are the big ones. Those are the ones that I thought for sure. It's just like, Oh, these guys are, these guys are making it for sure. Um, uh, uh, Sammy Zane, Sammy's, I always, I always say this in, in interviews, but I always knew he was going to make it because like, in our locker room, so a PWG locker room is a relatively special locker room. So in a room full of special people, he was the most special. Mm-hmm. Like everyone looked at him, like to see what he was doing. You know, he was a great person and just full of energy and 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 all of that stuff. So like him, it was like a no brainer. He was going to make it. Um, Kevin, Kevin was always a good worker, but it was just like to be in the WWE, you wouldn't think so, you know? Yeah. Uh, for years, it was like you had to have, you know, abs on abs on abs um, to get in there and uh, be gassed out of the gills and, and all that stuff. So, Kevin was a freaking shocker. Like, not undeserved, not to say that. Like, he's an amazing worker,
0: but it's just. And like, to you know, do so well. Like, yeah. yeah World Championships, exactly. like, huge. Yeah. yeah it's freaking awesome. Yeah. So,
1: but, um, and, and I'm glad that they, you know, they, the WWE returned to that, that era of going like, you don't have to all look the fucking same. You know what I mean? Like the wrestling I grew up with is like, yeah, like <laughs> big boss man was like a great wrestler. Yokozuna, you know, you have, you have bigger dudes, um, you know, um, just guys of all different sizes that were like, it's like, Oh, the earthquake, you know, I saying Kevin's as big as earthquake. Kevin, yeah. if you see this that's not what I'm saying but
0: so, no like, but Hulk like Hogan Hulk Hogan loved working with earthquake and he loved working with boss man because they bumped and made him look like a superstar
1: yeah they're great yeah you know and they're um and seriously like if if you guys get a chance go back watch some boss man matches he had some killer spots there's a there's a couple of spots I just blatantly stole from him I'm just like no one watches this like I'm <laughs> who's watching boss man matches so I would I would uh I would tweak the spots, but for like sometimes I would just like I don't need to tweak it because he's he's not working anymore. He's not using this spot. So um yeah, he would just move so well for such a big guy. Uh but yeah, I'm I'm glad that WWE kind of like opened up their eyes. It's like, dude, you can you can have any size worker and have them be effective if they're good at what they're doing. Uh so yeah, so it was great to see, you know, uh Sammy, that's what So weird calling him that Sammy Zane <laughs> and uh uh Kevin. Kevin make it just super cool. Super, super cool.
0: And how has the transition been to doing comic books now? I mean, you, you finished wrestling. Uh, I'm sure your back is thanking you at this point.
1: Surprisingly, my back is the, I got lucky, man. Like, um, I escaped wrestling with no back injuries. I have zero back injuries. Unfortunately, uh, my right knee, my left ankle, and concussions so those are what i got from wrestling um mm. my my right knee's destroyed my left ankle is destroyed and um uh um yeah just too many too many concussions you know it's just like cte is a real thing it's like oh my memory kind of sucks um you know i'm i'm good like I'm not a, i'm not a complete moron or anything but it was just like oh yeah vince russo i couldn't remember his name he was one of the most popular writers forever and I just couldn't think of it It was gone until you had said it, you know? So it's, it's stuff like that. It's like, God, I used to know, you know, I used to know more words for this. How come I can only think this one version of this word, you know? Um, so, so it's stuff like that. But, uh, uh the transition to comics has been very easy. Uh, it's, it's, like i mentioned earlier, re- or wrestling was my second love. Comics was always my first love. When I was a kid, I used to train myself to be a comic book artist. I would like in the summer, I wouldn't allow myself to go outside until I completed one page of art. Like that was, I was training myself to become a comic book artist at a young age. Wow. And, uh, you know, the teens hit wrestling was insane. And so I ditched comics to, to, you know, do wrestling and, you know, a teenager too, you know, you kind of lose focus and, uh, girls and all that. So, you know, I changed it up for, for 10 years. And then towards the end of it, I was like, I want to do comics again. I miss comics. And, you know, I'd still read them. um, you know, from time to time. But uh, yeah, I still really started to want to get back into that as as my career was winding down. And that year and a half at the end, where I was just like, I'm just going to do what I want to do. That was because I had started drawing again. And I was just like, I just want to draw. And, and I just want to do that. And I want to hang out with my friends in San Diego. And it's like, wrestling stopped becoming fun. it It was mm. a job. You know, like my friends, like, hey, what are you doing this week? I'm like, I gotta go to work. You know, I gotta work up in LA or whatever. So, um, once wrestling stopped becoming fun, and and like I'd said previously, financially, wrestling was not good. Like there was no money in wrestling. You know, and so it's just like, okay, I can't justify doing this for another five or ten years. For one, I'm not having fun anymore. And uh, two, there's no pay. And and so I'm just getting more hurts and I'm getting older, and this and that. So. And I had a I had a hard, I had a deadline. The deadline was 30. It was like if I wasn't making a living off of wrestling, and uh that was pretty much the deadline. It was just like if I wasn't making a living off of it, I wasn't gonna do it anymore, regardless of how much fun I was having. And um, but I wasn't having fun um until that year and a half mark. And then it's when I stopped caring uh so much about what everyone else thought and just what I thought. And then yeah. I started having fun again. That was the messed up part was The last, the last society, it's about six months of me not giving a fuck and just doing whatever I wanted. And then which kind of started making it fun again. So the whole last year I was like on this tear and I was like, Oh, this is great. Things are great. Like I'm kind of getting a little bit of a push, you know, like, and, um, so I was like, this is pretty cool, you know? And like, I had my finish and I had kind of my move set locked in finally. And, um, you know, I had this great balance, but then, um, you know, it was just time. It was time. And there was a huge relief. Once that final bell rang, um, there's just a huge relief, just a huge weight lifted off my shoulders and I got to get back to comics and, and doing something that I've loved. And I think, I think that's one thing that's helped keep me away from the ring as well. It's like, I've had something else to fall back on. You know, a lot of guys don't leave wrestling cause they don't know what else to do afterwards. They don't have other things that they could do. It's like, for me, it's always been comics. So it was just I took a ten year diversion. It was a good diversion, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't tra- trade it for the world. So um, yeah, before I got my that. writer, I got my writer out of wrestling. Uh, Mister Excitement is my okay. my comic book writer. So and you know he was someone I you know met obviously early on in my wrestling career. I think like two thousand three or something like that. Two thousand two maybe at RevPro. We just had like a ton in common, you know, comics, Bruce Lee, wrestling. Like, well, wrestling was loads. There he liked Japanese wrestling. I like wwe stuff but you know wrestling's wrestling um so just someone i had a ton in comic uh common with and just like a great guy and you know a lot of those red pro guys like those are the guys that i keep up with uh you know to this day top gun you know they're those guys are some of my closest friends in wrestling still um sky scorpio sky I still talk to him pretty regularly um you know so
0: that's a guy who I'm happy to see. We spoke about people uh get quote unquote making it, getting signed, or whatever. That's a guy I was stoked to see on on TV was Scorpio Sky.
1: Yep. Absolutely. Two,
0: no, one, because he's super hardworking. Uh two, he's a really nice guy. I met him a couple times. Very nice guy. Yep, uh much. And three, he's also just super, super talented. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's great.
1: He's yeah. great. There was there was some guys in in SoCal that um I thought for sure were going to make it. Um not for sure, but, but it's like, these guys have the highest ceiling to make it. You know, I, honestly, I thought, uh, me, uh, Bosch and sky, like I thought out of soap, out of the SoCal guys, like we were the ones that could go somewhere, um, do something. And yeah, just, you know, fortunately, it didn't happen for me and Bosch and, uh, Bosch tapped out a little bit earlier than I did. And, um, um, you know, but it's great. Great for Sky, like he kept with it. You know, it was shoot. Uh AEW didn't come around. Like when did they start? Like three years ago?
0: Yeah. Well they announced it at the beginning of 2019.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, you know, that's that would have been eight more years of me working the Indies. You know, and it's just like <laughs> that's oh, a that long sounds, time. It sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't eight more years of not making money before, you know making money. Like that doesn't, you know, I'm glad I've been drawn and uh, yeah. there's been a lot of fans and friends asking me to come back. It's like, Oh, you should come back. Like you'd probably do really well right now. And I'm just like, it's mentally, I'm not there. Like I'm not, it's not something I'm thinking about like at all. It's like, uh, it seem it's, it's, you know, the money's good now, but it's like, you know, uh, unfortunately I'm a victim of the time, you know, it's just, I was working when it wasn't a good, good time to be working, you know? Yeah. So, it is what it is. It's fine.
0: Yeah. It's, it was a really opposite idea in wrestling. It was I. Uh, you don't want to be too indie. You don't want to be too indie in the, in the business, but it's like, so yeah. you don't want to be
1: experienced. Is that what you right. mean? And, and mm-hmm. you know, it sucks too, because like a lot of the style, a lot of the TV style right now is my style. It's like, Oh, it's a combination of indie and WWE stuff. Like that's the style I always worked, you know? And it was just finding the balance for that. And that's what's on WWE programming right now. And I think that's that's part of the reason too, like why I wouldn't watch wrestling because it's it's just kind of bummed me out. It's just like, oh, they're doing on TV what I was doing for a long time. And like, this is, just, this is bad timing, you know? Yeah. So, but well, I'm, I, glad, I'm glad my friends that hung in there are, it's like, thank goodness it paid off for somebody, you know? Like I love, yeah. like you were saying, it's like, I love seeing Sky on TV. It's great
0: yeah a lot of the stuff you did would was was pretty tailor made for television a lot of the flourishes you had in like the way you would do an elbow drop and kick the leg out or just like or the um like the the spear into the the superman spear into the corner stuff like that where like you were really good at accentuating your other body parts that weren't t- necessarily part of the move to make that move look that much more impactful so
1: yeah, that, i don't know yeah yeah man it's um just that the little things that counted, you know, that was, that was something uh, I thought about early on. You know, you, you just got to gotta think about wrestling in a different way. You know, like uh, the, guy, th- the guy that really made me think outside of the box as far as the ring goes was uh, Fit Finley. Fit Finley, he was a WWE agent after his WCW stint right after WWE bottom and all that stuff. And then he had a comeback where he, he started wrestling again. Uh, in WWE for the you know first time for the WWE um but he was using like I remember someone tried to do a baseball slide he lifted up the ring skirt and the guy slid into the ring skirt and he just started beating the shit out of him I was like amazing like who who does that you know and he would just do certain things like that I'm like oh my god like how else can I how else can you use the ring and so I started thinking of other things to do you know like um uh, like I started doing a swinging pole drop kick. It was kind of like a six one nine, but a, like we'd be running on the outside and I would just kind of run and grab the post and swing through and, and, and drop kick them like a baseball slide drop kick. And I, that was just, you know, it was because of Fit Finley and, and the way he was using the ring differently. And then, um, the end, yeah, like the last couple of years I started doing this, um, tie clench, um, like chest. So I would slide the guys out on the ring apron and I'd get them in a tie clinch and I'd lift them up and I would pull them down chest first onto the ring apron. And it looked devastating. And that was based off of just that little thing that Fit Finley did. It was just like, all right, well I got to start using the ring differently now. It's like, Oh, who uses the ring apron? Not many people, you know? And so you just start doing these other things and it's just, it can be one thing, you know, you can see one thing and it can open your mind up to completely different ideas. So it's just being, open to it
0: as a you know an artist uh how many of the how many or do any of the boys reach out to you like hey man i'd really like uh to put out a new t-shirt design you know it would be cool is if someone could draw that for me and,
1: and not many not many thank goodness um <laughs> like you know i do i do commission work um so there has been a couple of guys that have commissioned me to do gear design um uh, sky's gear design scorpio sky'es gear design right now i designed that Oh, okay, uh, yeah. So, um, I'll do stuff for him. Uh, I've done stuff for some some other local guys or whatever. Uh, they'll hit, hit me up. They know I draw or whatever, and and so yeah. So it's been it's been mostly that. Um, and I also do freelance work for Pro Wrestling Loot. It's a like a, um, a loot crate type type company, but it's yeah. all rest, all wrestling related. So I do work for them. I do trading cards. I do uh toy designs and stuff like that, t-shirt mm. designs. So uh yeah, so I'm still in the wrestling world in that sense where I'm I'm uh, you know doing art art for that for them.
0: I was gonna ask, uh I don't know if it's you know too soon still after the business, but any any ideas for a wrestling themed comic?
1: Dude, I had I had this um I had this comic I did of Top Gun, actually. I did a couple of pages and it was going to be called the gorilla six and, and this was going to be, you know, I had this idea, I think when I was still working. So, so I've not, not done one thing with it, but it would kind of be fun. It was essentially going to be kind of like a street fighter style thing, but with pro wrestling, you know, where like the wrestlers travel to different areas to fight different wrestlers. And, you know uh, so I, I liked that idea, that aspect of it. So I had this, uh, this idea for top gun and his story. Cause you know, his character was like, you know, I'm just, I'm going to snort cocaine off of a hooker's ass and uh, 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 you know, I do steroids and this and that. So like his stuff was easy. It was like, Oh, his, his stuff's already written. I don't need to think of anything. Yeah. So I did a couple of pages. Let me, let me grab them real quick. Uh, so I did this. Uh, let me see if, oh, uh, yeah. you know, Winwood, he had a character where it was like Popo Chan or something like that where it's like a, a panda bear mask, and so I came up with this design of a guy in a suit or whatever, and then there's there's top Gun with his his needles and his, <laughs> the uh, bottles and his beer bottles um so I had a that's amazing, yeah, so let me see if I can yeah, so there's the motel, and then here's he's uh s- snorting some cocaine <laughs> and he's he gets real happy it's off of a there's the cocaine on the hooker's ass. He does his classic, "God damn it!" right here, and then he gets like a hard vein from all the cocaine hitting him, and he throws down his money. And then the the next page was going to be a splash page of the hooker on the bed in like just her bra and underwear, but she was wearing like like a mascot head. <laughs> So I was just going to do some like a bear, bear costume head. Uh, There was a skit he did at PWG where he had sex with a bear in the bathroom. And so, yeah, so I was going to do a callback to that. So, yeah, that was my, my idea for a wrestling comic book. So, um, I don't know. It's still, it would still kind of be fun to do. I've had a little bit more free time lately, but I don't know how many people would be interested in, uh, reading that book (laughs) since, since me and, and Top Gun um the guys that I would have had in it like we've been out of the business for a while or whatever um I'd probably try to incorporate some some newer guys or something but I don't know it almost wouldn't be as fun cuz I don't have a connection with them like it would be yeah. fun to draw my friends
0: uh so so yeah anyway Yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. I love that. Yeah, it was it was fun. All right, brother. The booker has run out. He's upset because of time. It's time to take this home. All right. All right. So I got some questions here for you. Uh, feel free to digress, of course. There's no hard rules here. Um, what are... Uh, you got any famous or favorite road stories of yours from traveling in the, in the indie world business?
1: A couple. I, I think Top Gun mentioned one of them. Uh, there was another time, uh, me, Sky, Quicksilver, uh, uh, we were driving up to Sacramento. And we were going to go meet Bret Hart and me and sky, that, that's our guy. So we were really excited and we were just chopping it up on the road. Um, I was driving and we ended up driving 45 minutes past our exit cause we were just having such a good time talking. Um, so I had to turn around. So <laughs> 45 minutes in the wrong direction. Um, <laughs> the one that John mentioned was when we went to Europe and I had this really cool, um, it was kind of like a fanny pack, but it was was like a fanny pack mixed with the messenger and it just clipped, clipped in the front like this, like like a messenger. I remember
0: those. I remember those.
1: And it was small and it was kind of like, had like a kidney shaped. It was like a, like a, like this. Yeah. So it would kind of wrap wrap right around your side. And so I had everything in it. I had, um, we had already done a couple of the shows. I think all of the shows, I think we had done all the shows at this point. So I had all my I had all my booking money, I had all my merch money, all my merch sales, I had my plane tickets, credit cards, everything. And I would put that on, then I would throw a hoodie on and then a leather jacket and I would zip both of those up. So if I got pickpocketed, they would never know. Like you wouldn't at the at that time it wasn't popular. So you wouldn't know my money is right in the middle of my back. So mm-hmm. there would be no way for them to get to it. And the one time I like got off guard was we went to an internet cafe and I took off my jackets cause it was warm in there. And I put my, my messenger bag right on the back of my chair, internet, 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 45 minutes later. Hey, we got to go. Turn around. Bag is gone. We had no clue where it is. It was, it was, <sighs> so I it got stolen. Um, it was funny because, uh, uh actually confronted a homeless man in the, <laughs> The, not confront confronted's it's too big of a word i think but he said hey man do you know hey have you seen my friend's bag and the guy's like oh get away from me and then they, you know that's so uh that was the the extent of us uh doing some so anyway so someone someone confronted uh, or talked to this homeless man about about the bag and uh, you know, "Ah, get away from me. And so that was the extent of it. And uh, um, yeah, so that, that was a big one. Luckily, luckily John just went with me to the embassy. It it, it was strangely too easy to get back into the United States uh, (laughs) to get like a temporary passport. Like John had to just say, Oh yeah, he's, he is who he say he, he he says he is. And they're like, okay. And then they gave me a brand new passport. And that was the whole thing. I was like, that's it? Like, like, do we have to do anything else? And so I had a temporary passport, um, you know, Quicksilver And I think Quicksilver and John lent me a couple of bucks, you know, and um, I had to convince the airlines to give me a new plane ticket. They're like, technically, we don't have to give you a new plane ticket. That was your plane ticket. And that this was before like e-tickets, like electronic tickets. So it was just like the physical ticket was the thing and it was fucking gone. And so I just had to beg the lady. I'm like, I got robbed. I have no money. And the lady just said, okay, all right. Like eventually she got, got me a new ticket. So kind of wild.
0: In November, I went to China and in one of the, cause I flew to a couple of different airports in China In one of them, You know, they, they, I had like my e-ticket, but I also had like the printed ticket, right? That they gave you, you know, when you check in your bags. So I went and like, you know, they have the little side panel that, that like comes off, you know? So mine came off, but I didn't think anything of it because in any other airport I've ever been in, they don't really care as long as you have the little barcode they could scan, you know, whatever. So, you know, I'm going through, I already went through security, already did everything. And this is like a super busy Chinese airport. And then I get to the thing and he's like, no. He's like, where's the other part of the ticket? I'm like, I don't know. Fell. He's like, nope. And He made me go all the way back, and I had to get like, I had to like leave security and go to like to the front desk again, and like get another one printed out. I was like, are you serious right now? I was like, what the heck, man? That's that's some bullshit. I was like, what's <laughs> happening? I'll see. Yeah, that question's not going to work. The other question was, if not wrestling, what would you want to do creatively? I think we already know that. Yeah. Mimes. I wanted to be a mime. Uh, what was what's your favorite move or hold that you never used? Interesting. I don't know that I,
1: there was, there was a couple of moves that I didn't do enough. Like I was like, I never did enough that, that enough. I think, I think everything that I wanted to try I did try. Um, I used to do kind of like a, uh, kind of like a reverse stunner. It's just like a neck breaker, but I would mm-hmm. do it exactly like how Austin would set up a stunner. I'd kick him in the lower back and I would jump and do the the neck breaker. I did it one time. It's like, it's on a couple of highlight videos. Uh, like I did it to Davey. I think it was a me and Bosch versus Davy and super dragon. I think that was in England. Um, yeah. I think that was part of our European tour. So that I didn't get to do enough. And I really liked it. Um, if <laughs> it's something I've given thought to like, just randomly like, Oh, everyone does my finisher. Everyone does the big fat kill. Now that that's spinning a hook kick. So I was like, if I came back today, I couldn't even have my finisher cause everyone else does it. I mean, I, I guess I could cause apparently everyone can do Canadian destroyers on one show. So, but I I like being different. I don't like doing the same thing everyone else is doing. So I was like, oh, if I came back, I could probably use that as a finish, you know, because it's it's exciting. Like I can hit that on anyone. Like that's, you know, one of the best finishers is someone you can hit on anyone. And that's why I like the big fat kill. I could hit anyone with that. So I'm um, like that neck break I could hit with hit on anyone. So that would be cool. Um and because I had a bad knee and ankle, I wasn't able to do this. Um I kind of did like a like a half corkscrew, not a corkscrew, that's not the right word. It's like a quarter turn muscle buster. So I would hook him up like a muscle buster and I would mm-hmm. kind of jump and turn and I would drop to a knee and pull and then like drop him. So it'd have like this, it just looked kind of crazy. Um so it was different than like Samo Joe's, where he just falls back with you. So it's almost like his is kind of like a double leg suplex. Yeah. Um whereas the muscle buster was like on the cartoon where you see the guy and he would jump and you land on his butt and you'd pull the legs down. Mine was kind of like that, but I would land on one knee. So I'd just turn and I'd I'd land on one knee and I'd have one knee up and just go boom and then, like, they would kind of bounce off my shoulders and they would kind of fly. So it had this, yeah, just this cool look to it. But because my knee was so destroyed, I I didn't do it very often. I think I did it twice. Um, So, yeah.
0: Yeah, sounds cool. And you could probably, like, I don't know because, you know, I'm not a wrestler, but I feel like you could, like, give them extra height bouncing off of you, like, just – with yeah, your 100%. since you have one knee planted,
1: yes, that that's that's how I would do it. I would give them it look more devastating that way because you it's all about you know wrestling. It's all about timing. So it's like when you land the impact, so their body's crunching, and as their body is naturally going back up, you go up with them and you throw them. So it gives them an extra lift. So it's just like boom, and then your body goes and flies and lands. It's it's big. You know, it's a good a good false finish or a good finish if you don't have a lot of stuff in your art. Like I had, a, I had too much in my arsenal was the problem. So it was just like, I keep thinking of stuff I still think of stuff to this day. And, um, so that was one that I really liked, but I just, I just couldn't do it. My damn knee. Uh,
0: what the, what's the craziest fan interaction you've ever had? We know fans get a little rowdy at wrestling shows. Sometimes they drink too much. Sometimes stuff happens.
1: Uh, I honestly, I haven't had, too crazy of interactions to be honest with you um like yeah yeah most most of my interactions have been pretty cool like everyone's if they are drunk they usually want to buy me a beer so like I like beer so that's not cool bad. with me yeah it's not not a bad time um yeah it's, really that's it there there honestly I I haven't had that many weird interactions maybe if I kept working but uh but overall it's pretty good yeah, I can't, I can't complain with the fan interaction. So,
0: Besides actually attempting to hurt you, what's the worst thing someone could do uh, when you're working with them in a match?
1: Besides trying to hurt me? Yeah. Ac- accidentally hurting me.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> accidentally hurting me is just as bad as the intention. Not not just as bad, but it's pretty bad. Uh, what were you going well, to say? Gonna say I was just going to
0: say, I had to amend that question because the first couple episodes of this podcast, I was like, what's the worst thing someone could do? Be like, try to hurt me. So I was oh, like, okay, okay, now I got to kind of amend the question. So, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Um, you should amend it to besides them hurting you.
0: Yes. Because yeah. <laughs>
1: accidental or purposefully is, is no good. Fucking up the finish is pretty big. So it's like watching a movie, man. If you fuck the finish, it's like the whole whole movie's ruined a bit. Um, you can have the best match in the world. And if you have a flat finish because someone forgot something or whatever, like that can really... It's a whole match. It's the whole point. You being out there is having a good story. And, uh, you know, if you blow the finish, like, what do you do? That's yeah, so, the last
0: thing people remember, so.
1: Yeah, 100%. So I would say that. I would say that. That's, that's like, the worst thing you could do. Uh, or farting in my face. Like, that would be pretty bad. <laughs> um, yeah, that wouldn't be good. I was doing uh, – um, I used to do judo. When I was like 26. And so I was wrestling and doing judo. That's I was tagging with Bosch at the time. And so I was taking judo while I was wrestling. So my cardio was insane. I remember I remember having a match with me and Bosch versus uh B-Boy and Dragon. And there was a a four-man down, and then we were supposed to make our way up. And like I was so full of energy and ready to go. And so I was up before everyone. I was like, oh fuck. I was like, oh my cardio is really good. But anyway, quick diversion back to uh, the judo. I had this really big dude. He was like, you know, I was probably a buck eighty-five back then, and he was easy two fifty, something like that, um, six something. And he was just—I was way better at judo than him, but he was way fatter than me. So <laughs> he just laid on top of me, like like I had him down, and he just rolled on top of me, and um, I was kind of torquing his body too much, and he's and like I was in the this is, you know, splash zone or whatever. Oh, was, geez. Yeah, <laughs> I was right in there. So, yeah, that was pretty bad. <laughs> so, uh. <laughs> yeah, but besides that, messing up the finish, pretty big deal.
0: Was there ever time in the ring that you were legitimately surprised by a war- someone you were working with? Maybe, you know, you heard great things about them and it turns out, oh, man, this, this is terrible working with this guy or the other way around. You've heard some like not so good things about someone and you work with them and you're like, I can't believe how good this guy is. This is what are people talking about?
1: Not so much that there was one time where I was completely surprised in the ring though, like about something that they did that I didn't see coming. Um, I was, it was at a SoCal pro, um, which is a San Diego fed. And it was me and me and Peter Avalon. We were a team and we were facing off against uh uh, uh, Todd Chandler, uh, is a young guy. I helped train a little bit. Um, and so me and me and, uh, Peter Avalon, we were, we were tagging and I had, <laughs> I had, uh, I had Todd Chandler in a rest hold. I had him in camel clutch and, uh, uh, which was one of my standard rest holds cause I could rest a lot in it. And, <laughs> and, uh, Peter said, Bring him over here, Scott. I want to spit in his mouth. And it killed me. And I could not stop laughing. And because what also another gross thing, I was, a gross thing I was doing at the time, I was fish hooking the guys uh, in the camel clutch. It was just extra messed up, you know? So I thought it would be funny to fish hook him. So I have Todd Chandler in the camel clutch, fish hooked. And Peter drops down. He goes, "Yeah, bring him over here so I could spit in his mouth." And Todd Chandler is in the camel clutch, going, <laughs> <laughs> he's laughing, and I'm, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like I can't, I, I can't, couldn't hide my face because my, you know, it's like my yeah. hands are occupied and, and just the position. <laughs> so that was, that was, that killed me. So that was the one time I was legit surprised in the ring, like with something that had happened.
0: Oh wow! Uh, ha- has a booker ever tried to stiff you on money?
1: So many, so many have. So many have. It's. I was thinking about that the other day. It's kind of ridiculous how many times we've let that happen. Like it's like oh, we did work for them. We drove there. We did work which they required, which they requested. We did the work, and then they just didn't pay us, and we just left. Like it was okay. And it's like what the fuck is that? what? And that's, that's another thing in wrestling. It's like, like seriously, promoters should have to pay half, half up, half up front, half at the end. And like, just, just doing, dealing with wrestling for so long has really prepared me for art, like doing conventions and stuff like that, like, or or doing any kind of commission work. It's like, I always get paid half up front now, if not all up front Um, at shows specifically at shows, it's everything up front. Cause I don't know if you're coming back. You want me to draw this thing for you, but we're at a, San Diego comic-con. I might not see you again. Yeah. So, uh, you kind of have to learn from your mistakes. And unfortunately for 10 years, like I didn't, I didn't always learn. There was a couple of times, um, where it's like, Oh, I just got stiffed by that guy. Like, uh, the rev pro the last show. Like I didn't get paid for that. And I'm like, what? I was thinking about that. You know, I talked to the Rev pro guys all the time and I'm like, why the fuck did I let that guy get away with that? I should have just said, Hey, I need my money. I have to drive back to San Diego. You know, it's like, not like i was local you know so it's like every time i worked it was two hour drive before i got to work so and then you're you know you think about wrestling it's you're not there just for your 15 20 minute match you're there hours and hours before the show even starts hours after the show ends and you know you're getting paid in peanuts and it's just like oh this is stupid so uh yeah so many promoters so many
0: (laughs) and uh i don't know how how much you were into uh as far as running PWG and bringing in people. But on the flip side of that, uh, and you don't have to say any names, but was there for anyone you guys brought in and you know now they're there, now they're at the show, were they like, hey, I know we agreed on this number, but most of the time I actually paid this much. So if there's any way to even like, do they ever try to raise the price at all? I don't think so.
1: I think if that did happen, it was like, if they had to, if it was a tournament or something and they had to you know, wrestle multiple matches, I think probably that's when it would have happened. Um, mm-hmm. Or if like, you know, like maybe Bowler or something like that, or if someone was booked to go further in the tournament and then they had a crazy flight, like, hey, I got to get out of here early, you know, then someone had to wrestle an extra match. I'd probably say that would be the only time that it happened. Um, I know early on there was an incident with our belts. Um, like we were using this guy Vanderpile, uh, Pierce's uh, manager at the time he had these belts from whatever fed. I think it was from like a TV show or something. He had some belts made for a TV show or something along those lines. So we're using that. Those were, that was our first tag belts. And after a couple of shows, he goes, Hey, I'm going to sell the belts online unless you guys want to buy them off me. And so we had a show coming up. So we ended up, I think we ended up renting the belts from him for like two shows um, before he finally sold them. So that was the only time where it was kind of like this sneaky dick move. You know, so yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Well, uh, I had a guy named Jason Styles who wrestled uh, big time wrestling up here. Uh, he told a story on the show where Juventud Guerrero straight up stole his belt and left. So, hey, oh, wow. could have been worse. <laughs> <laughs> the juice is loose. <laughs> yeah, yep. Oh, uh, then he wore it all over uh, Mexican and Japanese television.
1: Oh, right on. Must have been a very nice belt.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was an original uh, Reggie Parks belt. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. What's the hardest you've laughed at an indie show? Or was it the time that he was going to spit in his mouth? Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> when Peter Avalon was going to spit in Todd Chandler's mouth. That is the loudest I've laughed at um, during a match. Another great laugh I had was at PWG. It was during one of the skits early on. Sorry, my dog's making noise here. Uh, it was early on. So we were just trying to think of different skits or whatever. And we, so we were just winging stuff sometimes. And so we were all in the room. A lot of times we were, we'd be all in the room when we were recording stuff. And Rick Knox was on, on the piano for whatever reason. I can't remember who was interviewing him. Someone else was a wrestler was interviewing him. And they were like, Oh, we heard your, your pianist," And, uh, and he goes, Oh yes, I am. And they're like, Oh, that's great. Is there a, Anything you could play for us, and then he like looks down, and then he just like, done, and I call that, and then he says, blah 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 blah, and I fell out of my chair laughing because like I known Rick Knox forever, but that had quite honestly be the funniest thing he had ever said and done. And I was like, holy shit. Like, I didn't know where he was going with that. And like, I was like, does he even know how to play? I don't think he knows how to play the piano. And uh, so he did that. And I just, you might even be able to hear it on, on camera. Like you could hear a thud and that's me falling on the ground. (laughs) And like from laughter, it was just
0: so good. I was like, holy shit. That was brilliant. Uh, So you wrestled a lot of different promotions. Uh, You've seen a lot of different workers from different places. What's the worst gimmick you've seen?
1: I might have to come back to that. I've, I don't know man, I try to block a lot of this stuff out. Like I rem- I try to remember the good stuff and block out the bad stuff. <laughs> so um I'll, maybe I'll come back to you on that one. I will try, okay. try to think some.
0: And uh once again, you know, don't have to name names, but any so-called big guys, WWE, WCW, ECW former guys that you worked on a show with, not necessarily PWG could be another show, that uh thought they were bigger than the show, acted like they were bigger than the show, just really just were not Good to be around, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, there was a guy. I, I unfortunately I can't name names. Uh, uh, I mean, like I feel like I can, but uh, why? I don't. I don't need the headache. Um, There's a guy. He's he's pretty popular. Um, regular, regular at uh, PWG, and um, just acted. I wrestled him at another show, and he acted completely different. Like a lot of the guys acted pretty pretty different. And But him specifically, and it was just like he was a locker room leader over there or whatever. And uh, we had a match, and it was like – there's like a structure to the matches, right? Like um, – and they were getting – they were getting the win, and it felt like they were – they had the majority of the falsies, which kind of isn't the formula, like – like for wrestling matches. It's like, well, if you're getting the win, you shouldn't get all the falsies unless you're wrestling jobbers or something. Mm-hmm. And we weren't, so we weren't jobbers. So it was just like, it seems weird. So, but we were the heels. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, we'll do a cutoff. We'll get them a little, they can get a little bit of shine and then we'll cut them off right away. And we'll just make the heat longer because that's, that's the only way the balance of this match is going to happen. If we get the majority, we get the majority of the heat on them um, and then, you know, we get a couple of falsies, but they get most of the faults and they get the finish. I'm like, that's the only way it's going to balance, but it is what it is. This isn't our home promotion. You know, these guys are being weird here. So, um, we did the match and where we're supposed to cut off, they called an audible and put the heat on us longer and, uh, knocked, knocked me loopy, uh, in the process Um, they did a move where the back of my head hit the top turnbuckle and I got the, I blacked out for a second. I was like, Oh fuck. Uh, Yeah. And so that was the beginning of the match and that wasn't even supposed to happen. It was just like, this isn't, you guys aren't supposed to be doing this right now. Like we're supposed to be into the heat already. Um, and, uh, so yeah, so the match was, so i kind of stiffed them. I stiffed them for the rest of the match because they were, they are fucking me up and they, they are fucking up my partner. And, um, I was like, man, these guys work way different here, okay? And so I just gave it to him back. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, I have control right now, so I'm gonna beat the shit out of you. So I did. I just gonna beat the shit yeah. out of them. <laughs> So every chance I got, I would stiff them. and uh, but not overly. Like I was just, you know, I was feeding them a couple of potatoes. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was trying to knock them out or anything. But it was just like where I normally would pull my punch, I wouldn't pull it. You know, I just just give them a little bit more uh, kicks and all that, a little bit more, not not overly, but but enough so they know. And then the end of the match happens and we go to the back and they chew us out. My partner's concussed. I'm not going to say which partner because then you yeah. you can figure out who I'm talking about and what match. Um <clears throat> so my partner's concussed. I'm a little loopy, but I had stabilized as the match went on. I was fine by the end of it. But my partner was straight up concussed. And they were complaining to me that I was being too stiff and I was being unsafe. And like I was like this is crazy. This is crazy. And, um, uh, yeah. And so that, that was an incident where I was like, Oh, fuck this guy. Like, I don't, this, me and this guy used to be cool. Like now we're not cool. And, uh, um, uh, plus I heard him say something racist, like, uh, the day before. And I was like, Oh,
0: okay. You just said that out loud. All the cards are coming out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, Oh, that was straight up racist. And, uh, yeah. So I was like, ah, uh, huh. Okay. And then, you know, then the, the shit match happened and with all the nonsense, and then I get chewed out at the end by both of them. And, um, my partner's <laughs> standing there in a daze and it's not my fed. So I apologize to them. And, you know, like they were like, look at our faces and whatever. And then um I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm sorry, man. Sorry, sorry, sorry. All right. So whatever. We all go our ways. I go into the bathroom, throwing water on my face. I look at my face. My face is beat the fuck up. I was just as beat up as they were. And they were complaining about their faces. And I'm like, this is crazy. It's like this yeah. is fucking crazy. Um <clears throat> so next I got to see him the next day. It was a it was a two-shot weekend, uh, same sh- same show, same organization. And so we see him the next day and saying hi to everyone the bullshit and so we go around saying hi to everyone we get to them hey man how you doing uh uh ah, i'm a little worse for wear how you doing uh i i tweak my back during our match i was like oh shit man i'm sorry i was like ah, sh- hey when that shit happens and then hey how you doing it's like are you fucking kidding me and i'm like what are you fucking ki- that's all you have to say to me I'm all, what? what what do you mean i'm sorry what's happening and he goes I fucked my back up during the match, and I'm like, okay, like, what? Are you, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, what? 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 What are you looking for here? Like, I was legit confused as to yeah. what the fuck was going on. <clears throat> and then um, he's like, he was like, you know, you were doing this and that, and blah blah blah, and I ended up getting hurt and this and that, and the thing he got hurt on had nothing to do with me. Like it was just something he did in the ring. Like it's something he does and he ended up hurting his back doing it. And so he's just full of anger and all of this shit. And I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is going on here. Like what are these people smoking in this fed? So, um, yeah, it was just one of those, one of those fucking shows. And I was just like, Oh, fuck this guy. Like me and this guy used to be super cool. And he's just, he's not who he seemed to be like, so yeah.
0: I guess uh, people act differently when, you know, when you're the one running the Fed or the Fed, you know what I mean? They're like, yeah, you know, like when they, when they like, when they need you because you're the one running P- helping run PWG, then they're like, Oh, Hey man, how's it going? Everything's swell. Then all of a sudden, yeah. Mr. Dick That's comes wild, out, man. And it's just
1: like, and honestly at PWG, I never swung that hammer. You know, it was never, I never, I hated being viewed as one of the, as one of the promoters. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, no, don't look at me. Like that. I'm just one of the boys. Like, I remember a couple of the early, early shows. Like I think uh, Daniels Daniels had said something to me, like like you would say to a promoter, like a wrestler would say to a promoter, and I was like, oh, I was like, no, 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 <laughs> I was like, dude, 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 no, 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 no. Like I was like, I'm just, I'm, I'm a owner by name. Dude, don't treat me like that, you know. And um, I didn't like that. And so as the years went on, I furthered myself uh, like away from. Being seen as a promoter, it's like I don't want anyone to think that. For one, I don't help promote. Like I, I'm not. I, I almost don't do anything here. Like the first couple of years, yes, I think the first year, um, I was like kind of in charge of organizing a setup. So we would have I would be helping set up the chairs and all that stuff. We had ring crew, so the ring crew would help me in in all those things. And then after a while, we just had a full on ring crew, and I was like, I'm not. And I would see guys under me like undercard guys, um, locals not doing shit. And that bothered me. And I'm like, y- you're on the card because you're our friend. You should know that. Like you should be lucky. You're lucky. You have a spot right now and you're not helping do shit. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm one of the owners and I'm over here doing this stuff. I was like, fuck it. I'm not doing it anymore. So at one point I just stopped. all i was like, I'm doing it and it worked out yeah. <laughs> like someone else did it. I was like, okay, there you go. <laughs> so, so yeah.
0: Uh, any other pranks or embarrassing stories you could think of? No, man. Damn. Like we, honestly,
1: we're, we're all kind of just nerds about wrestling. Like we would, we would do the shows. We'd wrestle our matches. We record a match. We go watch our matches. We weren't really into the prank stuff that much. Um, okay, We were happy that the ribs, those old school ribs you would hear about. We're very happy that stuff didn't like people shitting in bags and stuff.
0: Yeah. like No, no one did
1: that. No one did that stuff. So, um, Thank goodness.
0: Yeah, At some uh, point, it's not a joke. You're just being an asshole. <laughs> like,
1: oh, hey, I got you. I shit in your bag. Your gear is worthless now. Yeah. You have to go buy new gear.
0: Cool.
1: Ta-da. <laughs> it's like, where's you fucking asshole. High uh, five, right? High yeah, five, right? You got me. Uh, <laughs> <that's ruined>. um, <laughs> shit. Let's see. Um, there are there any just like embarrassing stories? Embarrassing stories I got beyond all of my stuff getting stolen from an internet cafe in London. uh, I got all of my stuff stolen out of my trunk when we were at a Denny's. So we frequently go to Denny's after PWG uh, to hang out, you know, um, and I got back to my car and my car doors were open. My trunk was open Mm. and I was like, Oh shit. What happened? They stole, I used to live out of my car. Like I had, I had my laptop. I had my bowling ball, my wrestling gear, my camera. Um, luckily, I w- was inside a place where I needed my wallet. Sometimes I'd leave my wallet in my car. I actually left my payday in my car in an envelope in the middle console. They did not see it. That was the one thing they didn't s- steal from me. Um, I used to be a shades fanatic. I used to have like a thousand shades on my, my visor. They stole all those. Um, so that was super embarrassing. And But we always made the joke. Uh, there was a a homeless guy out there wearing my single it bowling and watching my videos. Um, uh, another part that sucks about that is we had done some skits. We had done more skits on my camera that we were going to piece together and put on the Mm. DVDs. And, um, yeah, so those, those skits are gone. Like, so we're like, Oh, that guy's watching a skit where I'm, I'm fake taking a shit and uh, he's wearing my gear.
0: So, he's just like watching it, like, what the fuck are these guys doing? Like, oh he's so God. confused.
1: And my, and my gear stunk. It was like, they got no, besides <laughs> my camera being in that bag, they got no value out of stealing that bag. <laughs> Who's got the hardest chop? Roddy's, probably. I would say Roddy's. Dragon's is pretty tough, too. Yeah, I would say those two guys. Yeah, Roddy's is pretty tough. Roddy's is a little startling, too, because if you would chop him, he would slap you in the belly to get extra sound. So he would time it Oof. so you would get more sound. But it was just kind of like a... But you're like, hey, man, what the fuck? <laughs> I hit you. Why am I getting hit right now? You know, And like if you'd never taken one, you never given him one, you weren't expecting it. You're like, why am I yeah. getting hit the same? Did I sell that? Am I <laughs> supposed to sell that? Because like, it just takes you out of the element because it's not something that usually happens. Uh, but Roddy's are pretty rough. Yeah.
0: All right. uh, I call this the touchy feely question. Uh, What's your pure joy in wrestling? Something that happens either before, during, or after the match. The thing that gives you the goosebumps where you're like, this is why I fucking love this business. This is why I love wrestling.
1: A, a big pop from the crowd off of a spot. Like if I hit a spot, super clean and it gets a large reaction. It's like one of the best feelings ever. Um, Especially if it's the finish, if I could hit the big fat kill, hella clean and the, crowd goes ape shit. it's like the best feeling ever
0: yeah we're, we're pretty much done now unless you uh, thought of a gimmick that you can think of
1: a uh, super dragon it's pretty goofy to me <laughs> no one t- no one takes him seriously he doesn't take himself seriously we're running around in his pajamas
0: <laughs> there was a pajama like element to those clothes for sure there was there was
1: <laughs> no i really can't think of one but that's always funny make fun of super dragon
0: All right, brother, please go ahead and put yourself over. uh, Talk about where people can reach you on social media. Of course, Accidental Aliens, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, you could uh, find me at Scott Lost pretty much on all platforms, uh, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter, Instagram. I think it even works on Facebook. If you go to facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost, I'll pop up. Um, You can pick up my books at accidentalaliens.com. So if you want to see what I'm doing now, uh, my, my comic books are The Second Shift or Wanderers of Millisanda. Second Shift is a story of uh, people with day jobs, minimum wage day jobs during the day, superheroes at night. And Wanderers of Melisanda is a uh, sci-fi fantasy. A thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets and we come across the planet Melisanda where the meteor never hit. So dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. So it's anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans. So, uh, And I'm finishing up the second issue of that right now. The art's finished. I'm finishing the lettering for it, and then I'm gonna do a Kickstarter. So if you guys are watching this in the month of August, it will more than likely be up the second week of August through the end of August. Um, yeah, and so you can pick up the first and the second issue on that Kickstarter. Um, it'll be, you know, very reasonable. Um, so any any bit helps. So uh, yeah, give that a look. And uh,
0: I think that's it. I think that's all of my gimmicks. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate you being on the show today. Yeah,
1: man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate
0: it.